Welcome to Redwood Christian Church. Uh, as Jay said earlier, our, our second week here online meeting together. And I pray that wherever you're, you're, you're able to be with us today, whether you're with family, with friends, or just at home alone, I hope you understand that we are watching this together. And although it may not feel like it, we're watching and experiencing worship today in community, in spirit. While we may not be able to do this physically, we're doing this in spirit. We are in week three of this series called Wind and Fire, where we've been looking at the Holy Spirit. In the last couple weeks, we've looked specifically at the person of the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Holy Spirit. We talked about wind and fire, if you recall this a few weeks ago, how, how those are two elements of nature that you don't necessarily have to be close to to experience. And with wind, we've used illustrations like a sailboat or a kite, and how we need wind to help those do what they're supposed to do. You see, wind is something we can't necessarily see or reach out and grab a hold of or or, or really taste or even feel to some degree. Wind hits you and you feel that. Now, we see the results of wind, don't we? We see trees uh, blowing. We see leaves rustling. We hear the results of wind. But wind is kind of something that we just have to reach out and feel to experience. But fire, on the other hand, fire is different. You know how fire works. You can see fire. You can feel and touch fire. You can hear fire. I I suppose if you're daring enough, you could probably taste it. But we know how fire works and functions. You see, fire acts more of, of a presence in our lives. Because with fire, we can see things and we can warm things. Fire has, has an impact and an effect on us sometimes that wind doesn't. And I want to think about fire specifically today as we, we look into week three of this series because we're going to talk today about the presence of the Holy Spirit in your lives. See, the theme throughout the course of this series has been the Holy Spirit in you is better than Jesus beside you. And, and maybe you're new to church and you're like, well, Kirk, that doesn't make any sense at all. How could something be better than Jesus right beside me? I would love to have Jesus right beside me right now. And don't get me wrong, I certainly would too. But we think about what the Holy Spirit in us means. Now, I don't know, again, what your experience with the Holy Spirit is. Maybe you grew up in a church where the Holy Spirit was rarely, if ever, even mentioned. Or maybe you're on the other side of that spectrum and you grew up where the Holy Spirit was kind of the star of the show. Or maybe your only like, experience with the Holy Spirit or, or only knowledge of the Holy Spirit came from like channel surfing one night and you came across a church service on TV one time and you saw people getting into the Holy Spirit and you're like, ah, that's just kind of weird. Maybe that's your only experience with the Holy Spirit. I don't know, but whatever your experience with the Holy Spirit is, I want you to understand that when that Spirit is in you, your life will change for the better. And in fact, what we're going to talk about today is not only the Holy Spirit in you better than Jesus beside you, but the theme today is a good one. The Holy Spirit in you transforms you. And the reason the Holy Spirit in you transforms you is because the Holy Spirit in you is the power of God in you. Last week, we kind of wrapped up our our sermon with this verse from Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 13, it says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who were God's possession, to the praise of his glory. I love this verse because of of two reasons. The first is the the idea that the Holy Spirit in us is a seal 
in our lives. Now, we think about sealing something. I don't know what you might have that's something important that you want to seal, and you seal it. Why? So that the intended recipient of that will know it's not been tampered with. It came from you. Uh, maybe maybe in, in our day and time, too, we do something like we, we sign it with our signature, or maybe we use a PIN or you know, a, a certain number or a password so that we know nobody can tamper with this except only those that we want to see it. In ancient times, they would seal a document. Often a king or somebody powerful would seal a document by taking hot wax and and pouring it over after the document had been folded over. And while that hot wax was there, they would take a stamp, often a ring called a signet ring, and they would press their image or their likeness into that hot wax. And then that wax would cool and and harden. And in that seal, as long as it wasn't broken, it would be very obvious who this came from because that was a unique imprint that only the king had. And so when that document got to the person who was supposed to receive it, he would know this came from the king, number one, and number two, nobody else has messed with it. And if that seal was broken by somebody who wasn't supposed to break it, well, let's just say that there were some dire consequences for that person who broke the seal. So what are we saying here if you're sealed by the Holy Spirit? What we're saying if you're sealed by the Holy Spirit is that you have God's inheritance waiting for you. And that seal can't be broken by anybody else. You you are guaranteeing that inheritance that you will one day get. And we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a few moments. But what what does that seal look like? Well, I don't know. Because I, I don't see your seal. You can't see my seal. But here's the cool thing. The angels in heaven can see that seal. And more importantly, the demons of hell can see that seal. And folks, I want you to understand that if the demons of hell try to break that seal that God has put on your life, there will be hell to pay for them. Now, maybe you're going, well, they're trying to break my seal right now. They won't leave me alone. What do they do? Here's a little hint. If you read the back end of Revelation, you know what's going to happen to those demons who are trying to break your seal right now. It's not going to end well for them, okay? I've read the end of the book, and we win. We'll get there again here in a few moments, so bear with me a little bit here. But the Holy Spirit in you seals your life for that inheritance. The Holy Spirit in you transforms you so that you're prepared for that inheritance. If you've got a Bible today, we're going to camp out in Romans chapter 8 and just kind of give a a dive bomb overview of this chapter. Because here's the cool thing about Romans chapter 8. It is like the high point maybe of the entire New Testament. Now, if you look at the Bible as as a mountain range, there's going to be many, many high peaks, many beautiful peaks. But man, Romans chapter 8 might just be like the Mount Everest of this mountain range. It is like in 39 verses, it is just this beautiful rolled out explanation of, of how God transforms us. And how once God gets into your life and gets a hold of your life, nothing before that matters and nothing uh, since that moment will change you. Because what we're going to see is how the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us and how the Holy Spirit transforms your life. In, in this verse, in, these, or in this chapter, in these 39 verses, you're going to see the word spirit, the Greek word pneuma, 21 times. And 19 of those 21 times specifically it's referring to the Holy Spirit. This is a beautiful chapter about how God will transform your life through his Holy Spirit, specifically in three ways. The first one is this, the Holy Spirit will transform you with freedom. 
Now think about that. Because specifically, the Holy Spirit will transform you with freedom from condemnation. Now just real quick, I want to give just a really quick recap of what's happened in the book of Romans up to this point. Because the first seven chapters are just really all about how we really mess things up with God. We sinned in ways far worse than we could possibly imagine. But Romans chapter 3 tells us that God had a solution far greater than anything we can possibly understand. And because of that... We're able to have faith in God, and that faith counts us as righteous with Him. That faith gives us hope and peace, and that hope and peace shows us that we have died to our old ways. We're alive in Christ now. We're no longer slaves to to sin, but we're slaves to God. We're slaves to righteousness, and we're free from the law. And in light of all of that, Paul starts Romans chapter 8 out this way, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Think about these words right here. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to think for just a second here about maybe your life. And specifically, I want to ask you a question. What are some types of grudges that you hold against other people? Okay, I'm not asking maybe you're currently holding one, but maybe you've held grudges in the past. Probably, if we're honest, we all have. But what, what, what types of grudges do you tend to hold? Or more specifically, why do you tend to hold on to those grudges? Now, I think we all could say there are some things that are easier for us to let go of than others. Okay, and, and what's easy for me to let go of might not be easy for you and vice versa. I understand that we're human, we're flawed. But here's the point. All of us, as Christians are, are told we're supposed to forgive others who have sinned against us, just like God has forgiven us. But yet we know that that's difficult. But here's the thing, and I, I want you to think about this for a second, because often, often it's easier for us to forgive other people than maybe it is for us to forgive ourselves. Maybe you're not holding a grudge against another person, but maybe, just maybe, maybe you're holding one against yourself. Because maybe you've done something that hurt somebody else in the past. And maybe that person forgave you, but, but you just can't let go of it because, man, it hurt that person so badly. Or maybe you've got an addiction or something that you just can't let go of, that, that won't let go of you, and, and you're trying so hard to let go of it, and you, you just can't. Maybe you've got a, a secret addiction. On, you look at stuff on your phone or your computer you're not supposed to. Or a, an addiction to certain substances. Or maybe it's a toxic relationship that you just can't let go of? What is it that's holding on to you that you're keeping a hold of that you're not able to let go of? Because maybe you think, you know what? I'm not really worthy of this. I deserve this. What is it? What do you have in your life that you can't forgive yourself for or let go of? See, here's the thing I want you to remember. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus went to the cross for you. And you may say, Kurt, you you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you've been through. Because Jesus took care of it on the cross. Several years ago, a a former professor of mine was teaching a lesson. And and he was teaching a lesson on forgiveness. And specifically on condemnation and forgiveness and how that works together. And as he's teaching this, he had a trash can up next to him. Didn't normally go there, but he had it there on this particular day. And everybody in the room noticed it. He didn't acknowledge it, though, until the very end of his lesson when he said, oh, by the way, I'm sure you've noticed this trash can that's here. See, here's the thing. Many of you in this room today, 
you have a sin in your life that you're not letting go of. You have something in your life that, that still has a hold of you. And maybe that other person has forgiven you, but you haven't forgiven yourself. And he said, I want you to do something. And for those of you who are watching this today, I want you to do the same thing here. He said, I want you to take out a sheet of paper, and I want you to write that sin down on that sheet of paper. So if you're watching, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to take out a sheet of paper, and I want you to write that sin on the paper, the sin that you can't forgive yourself for. The addiction you can't let go of, the hurt you've caused somebody else that you won't let go of, the, the, the toxic relationship that you're going to feel bad about re- releasing, but you need to release it. Write it down on that piece of paper. And then here's what I want you to do with that piece of paper. Right now or at the end of this service, one of the two, I want you to take that piece of paper that you write that sin on and wad it up into a ball and then walk over to that trash can and throw it in there and get rid of it. And I want you to never I want you to never get it back out of that trash can. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross for that sin. And he, he, he's not condemning you for that sin, so why should you forgive or condemn yourself? If Jesus can forgive you, you should be able to forgive yourself. The Holy Spirit in you transforms you with freedom from condemnation. And more than that, the Holy Spirit in you transforms you with freedom to new life. We read about this kind of in Romans chapter 6. New life, death to the old life, and in Christ, new life. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. You might think about this, and you're trying to kind of see where this is going here just a little bit. Because it says if, if, if our minds are being run by the flesh here, th- th- that's where we're going to go. We're going to continue to chase what the flesh wants. But if our minds are, are going towards the spirit, then that's where our lives are going to be also. Maybe you've seen those old cartoons, you know, where somebody's faced with the temptation and you get the little devil on one shoulder and the angel on another shoulder. You realize that those are like the same voices of that person, right? And we talked about this last week. That's kind of the spirit speaking through you. And, and we see that because, I mean, in those cartoons, it's always kind of like the angel is the bad guy, like he's the buzzkill. No, don't do this. And the devil's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you want to do this. But here's why this is important. If we listen to the flesh, that's going to lead to death. Look at verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. A couple chapters after this, Romans chapter 12, there's a very famous verse where Paul tells us to not be conformed of, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. What's that mean? It means what he just said right here, that, that we shouldn't let the flesh dictate where we go. We shouldn't let the flesh guide us and decide things for us because it leads to death. And you may say, well, Kurt, you, th- this is fun to do. I agree. <laughs> Sinful life is fun. Now don't look at me judgmental like that. Sin is fun. If, if you don't think so, you're not doing it the right way, okay? Let's just be honest about it, okay? But that's the point. The things that this world tell us we should do that, that are fun, that's not what, what, that's not what we were created for. Okay, we weren't created for this world. We were created for the kingdom of God. That's why when we celebrate baptism, when we go through that visual imagery of being buried 
into our sins and then being raised to new life. And our sins are dying in that water of baptism. And we are raised into new life. And we step out of that baptistry and start walking with Christ. That's why it says this in verse 9. You are not in the realm of the flesh. You are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. See, here's the thing about baptism, folks. Baptism is required to walk with Jesus. Jesus was baptized and we're called to be like him. And it's in baptism that you receive the Holy Spirit. And folks, you need the Holy Spirit to walk with Jesus because the Holy Spirit will transform you from the person that you were into the person that you now are. See, the Holy Spirit transforms you with freedom to new life. That's important to remember because the Holy Spirit also transforms you with hope. Specifically, the Holy Spirit transforms you with hope to belong. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever struggled with kind of a sense of belonging? Like maybe you just didn't feel like you fit in with a certain group of people. Maybe with your own family. Or maybe, maybe you just didn't feel like you were popular or wanted or, or that, that a lot of your friends really cared about you. Maybe you're like me and I didn't feel like I fit in because I wanted to be an athlete and all my friends were athletes and I was the very last pick at every single recess regardless of whether we were playing football or basketball or baseball. And, and I didn't feel like I belonged. I think all of us don't have to try very hard to, to, to get this sense of we don't belong. But here's what the Bible tells us in, in verse 15 here of Romans chapter 8. Paul says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you uh, have to live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now let's pause right there for just a second because I want you to think about this for a moment. I don't know how many of you are familiar with adoption. I know personally my wife and I, we have three kids of our own. We haven't adopted any, but I have friends who have. And what's so special about seeing adoption is through adoption, they they take a child that's not theirs biologically, but they they give that child their name. They, They put that child into their lives. And that child no longer is over here. Now that child is right here part of the family, and as much of the family as those biological children. Some of you have experienced this. And and for those of you who have adopted, man, you have my respect. You have my respect more than you know. But here's what it means when we are adopted. Paul continues this in verse 15, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Here's the cool part of this. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. Now think about this for just a second here. Because when you adopt a child into your family and you give that child your name, that child is now yours. And that child is subject to the same inheritance as your biological children. Now we think about that. I I joke that if I have more kids, they just get to inherit my Star Wars stuff, you know, or my book collection in my office, or maybe my duck hunting stuff that hasn't been touched here in a few years. But for some people, the inheritance they leave their children is vast. And those adopted children get the same inheritance as the rest. 
When you become a child of God, you become more than just a person. You are an heir of God. And look at the rest of verse 17. We are co-heirs with Christ. Now think about this for just a second here, because what exactly is Jesus going to inherit? Like everything that's ever been created? <laughs> and we get to inherit that with Jesus. How, how amazing is that? You, you feel like you don't belong to this world? That's fine. We weren't created for this world. We were created for the kingdom. And in that kingdom, we will be co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Everything that's his will be ours. God will look at us the same way he looks at Jesus. That's what it means to have the Holy Spirit transform your life. That whoever you have been up to that moment no longer matters because that person doesn't exist. None of those labels you have when you come to the waters of baptism exist anymore. No, no matter what anybody thinks of you, none of that exists anymore. All that matters is that you are now a child of God adopted into his kingdom. Jesus sends his spirit into our lives so that we can be transformed with the hope to belong. But more than that, we want to belong because that gives us hope to endure. Now bear with me here, because this isn't exactly my favorite part of chapter 8. Because <laughs> in verse 22, Paul tells us this, We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. What's he saying here? He's saying that when you come to Christ, you're going to share in his suffering. Welcome to church today. <laughs> I kind of joke, but that's where we are. See, coming to Jesus doesn't mean that we won't have hard times. Jesus suffered, and Jesus suffered on your behalf and on my behalf. So we share in that suffering with him. Now, I don't know what you're suffering from. We could say that right now we're all suffering because of, of the, the situation we're in. With the virus going around, maybe you're suffering because you can't leave your house. Maybe that's causing some depression in your life or frustration in your life. Maybe you're suffering for a different reason. Maybe you're suffering today through an illness or a financial situation. Maybe there's depression or anxiety in your life. Maybe there's a relationship issue in your life. I don't know what the suffering is, but I want you to understand something here, folks. Just because you're suffering, just because you're going through something, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It doesn't mean that you're not still his child. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. It means that you're in a period where you have to wait. But here's the thing, the Holy Spirit in you transforms you with the hope to endure. Paul doesn't leave us hanging there on verses 23 and, or 22 and 23, because look at verse 24. It says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we don't yet have, we wait for it patiently. You kind of see a little theme here in these two verses? For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we don't have, we wait for it patiently. Five times he tells us to hope. Five times he tells us to hope, and specifically to hope for what we don't see. It makes me think of, of the great verse in Hebrews on faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Faith is the confidence in what we hope for 
and the assurance about what we do not see. Now think about this. If I have confidence in something, I don't really have to hope for it. If I've got confidence that something's going to happen, I don't really have to be that hopeful. And if I am certain about something, well, I probably can see it. But if I can't see it, it's hard to be certain about something. But that's what faith is. It's finding the balance between those. And he tells us here that hope that is seen is no hope at all. So maybe you're stuck in that hopeless situation right now. You're stuck in that period of suffering, and you're just crying out, God, where are you? Folks, he's still right there with you. He's still right there with you, and he's asking you to continue to have hope. And sometimes when you're in the middle of the darkness, hope seems impossible. In the book of Jeremiah, we read a verse that is extremely famous. Many of you probably have this somewhere in your house. You probably have it on a picture frame, and I'll be honest, I typically roll my eyes when I hear people say this verse because it's often taken out of context. But this is exactly the context that these words were written for. Because in Jeremiah chapter 29, God speaks through the prophet and says this, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. See, that wasn't written just for encouragement. That wasn't written just to make you feel better about your day. No, that was written because the nation of Israel had been picked up and moved out of their homeland. They were forced as captives into a foreign land, and there they were put into slavery. And and year after year, decade after decade, and generation after generation came, and there was no hope. There was no hope for them. And yet, what is God saying? I have plans to give you hope. Maybe you've seen the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, one of my favorite movies of all time. But in the movie, it kind of centers around two main characters, uh, Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins, and Red, played by Morgan Freeman. Red's been in prison for about 40 years for, for murder. Andy Dufresne goes to prison to serve a double life sentence for a crime he didn't commit. And the whole time Andy's in prison, he gets by day by day by clinging to hope and always talking about what he's going to do when he gets out and where he's going to go when he gets out because he's convinced that he's not going to stay in this prison his entire life. And and late in the movie, he's telling Red what's going to happen and Red tells him to stop and says, you need to quit holding on to that hope because hope's a dangerous thing. Hope will drive you crazy because you see for Red, there was no more hope. He had resigned to his fate. He was going to die in this prison one day. But Andy held on to hope. And the hope allowed him to endure. Folks, you may be in the middle of a, of a dark situation that feels hopeless. And you may get to the point where you finally go, I'm just tired of hoping because all it ever does is lead to more heartbreak. Don't give up. Continue to hope because the Holy Spirit in you allows your life to be transformed and not not stuck in that darkness long term. Continue to hope. Continue to cling to that hope. And, And here's why, verse 26, it says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Folks, have you ever been at such a low moment that you tried to pray to God and the words wouldn't even come out? 
I remember back, gosh, 14 years ago almost, the day my grandpa died. Now, I, I joke about the day my grandpa died because I, I just feel like this fit my grandpa's sense of humor so well. But he died on a Sunday morning, and, and we got the call that, that he had, had had a heart attack, and we all take off for the hospital about half an hour away. And because it was a Sunday morning, almost all of us in the family had some sort of responsibility at church because that was the way my grandpa brought us up, to serve the church. And so all of us had some sort of duty, so only half the family made it to the hospital by the time the chaplain and the doctor came in and gave us the news. And I remember when he came in and told us, there's nothing else we can do. And we looked up at him and asked the question, so he's gone. And they told us, yeah. And I just remember us circling up because the only thing that we knew how to do was pray. We just lost the patriarch of our family, and the only thing that we knew to do was to go to God. And here's a group of us who serve regularly in the church. Some of us are now pastors in the church. And none of us could find a word to say. And I vividly remember this long pause in the room. And I remember opening my mouth and nothing coming out. I remember other times when I've been at at such a low moment in my life where I've tried to cry out to God and and all I can do is just kind of go, Father. And that's it. Here's the good news about that, though. In those moments when I open my mouth and nothing comes out, the Spirit is with God and He's praying to God for me because He knows what's on my heart. He knows what I need to tell God and He does it for me. In the midst of your darkest day, the Holy Spirit is still in you and with you and is still fighting the battle for you. You are never, ever alone. The Holy Spirit in your life gives you the hope to endure. And here's why that is so great. Because the last thing the Holy Spirit in you, in you gives you, the Holy Spirit will transform you with confidence. If Romans chapter 8 is a Mount Everest of the Bible, folks, the last nine verses are the peak of that mountain. Because in these nine verses, these might be nine of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible, we see exactly what God did for us and why that matters. Because the first thing that the Holy Spirit transforms us with confidence for is is to have confidence over our past. Here's what it says in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Let me just just pause for a second here. Because it says, who is the one who condemns? No one. Why is that? Because the only person who is even possibly allowed to condemn us died for us. The only person who lived a life with no sin became sin on your behalf so that you could become the righteousness of God. The the only one who has the right to do this, he did the opposite. He gave his life for you. 
so that you could go to God with confidence. And again, you may say, Kurt, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if your rap sheet is worse than mine or, or better than mine. It doesn't matter. All that matters is Jesus loves you and he created you and he died for you. He went to the cross for you. And it doesn't matter what you've done. I've, I've heard this, 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 this illustration so many times and I don't even remember where I heard it the first time. But I love this illustration. You're on trial and you're sitting in the defendant's chair and there is just this overwhelming mountain of evidence against you. The crime against, or the, 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 the charge against you, you have no chance out of this. And the prosecution knows it and the judge knows it and you know it. And, and the judge is the father sitting on his throne. And he's about to lower his gavel and declare you guilty. When the back doors of the courtroom swing open and here comes Jesus strolling down the middle aisle and he looks at the judge and he goes, don't convict this man. I'll take care of it. And the judge looks back at him and goes, no, no, you don't understand. There's a crime that's been committed and justice must be served. This person is guilty. And Jesus looks right back at him and goes, no, you don't understand. I took care of it. And that, that mountain of evidence, I have washed it away. Put it on me. I'll take his punishment for him. That's what it looked like when Jesus went to the cross. When Jesus took that symbol of pain and suffering and he took my shame for the sin I had committed and the sin you had committed and he took it away and he, he took it to the cross with him. The only one who could condemn you died for you. He paid the price for your sins and he's given you confidence over your past and it does not matter who you have been or what you have done. All that matters is that you are now a child of God and your inheritance is waiting for you. But more than that, it gives us confidence over our enemies. We asked you this earlier, are you under attack right now? If you feel like you're under attack from this world, if you feel like Satan is giving you his best shot, listen to this, verse 35. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Here it is, folks, verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, literally nothing, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you catch that? Jesus went to the cross for you and nothing, nothing will ever change that. Nothing will ever take that away. Nothing will ever tell you that you're not good enough for the love of God. That, that you don't deserve his love. They might try to tell you, but they can't do it. Because the blood of Christ is stronger than all of that. The love of God is stronger than all of that. And folks, it is up to us to understand that we need his spirit in our life because his spirit in our life reminds us of that daily and gives us that confidence daily. 
It seals us with that stamp, and literally nothing in all of creation will ever, ever break that seal. You are God's. You belong to him. And his spirit in you will remind you of that daily. Here in a couple weeks, we're going to celebrate this. Because Easter's two weeks away. Normally, this is the time of the year I'd be asking you, who are you praying for that you're going to bring to Easter with you? Obviously, things have changed a little bit this year, so who are you going to invite to come watch Easter with you at your house? Who are you going to share our, our story with at Easter? Maybe you're watching this and you don't have a church home that you call your regular home. We invite you to come back onto this link in a couple weeks and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with us. Because, folks, you need to understand when he went to that cross for you, he didn't do it just to make a nice story or just to give us a nice image. He didn't do it just so that your sin could be, you know, brushed away and it's forgiven. No, he did it for so much more than that. When Jesus went to the cross, Romans 3 says it justified us. It, it freed you from the punishment of the sin that you had committed. It, that he said that it, it redeemed us. It bought us out of slavery. And that it freed us, it, it atoned for us. In other words, it freed us from the wrath of God. In other words, when Jesus went to the cross for you, it was not just to forgive your sins. No, it was to restore your life, to claim you for God, so that one day, one day, thousands of years in the future, you could say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you and I want to make you the Lord of my life and I want your Holy Spirit in my life. I want to invite you to do that today. Here in a few moments, we're going to have a time of prayer and if you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you don't have somebody that's there that you can pray with, I want you to call somebody that you can. Get a hold of me. I would love to pray with you. Because I want you to understand what I know. That God loves you so much. So much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for you. And in folks, that, that gives us the confidence. That gives us the hope. That gives us the freedom that comes from having the spirit in our lives. We're going to move into the part of our service where we remember that. Where we honor Jesus by remembering the sacrifice that he made for us. In your groups, we're going to take communion together. And as we take this, I want to leave this passage with you. Because I want you today to not only think about why you are in the family of God, but the price that was paid to get you there. Because the price that was paid shows how much Jesus loves you. If I buy something and it only costs me five or ten dollars, I look at that like it might be replaceable. But if something costs me a large chunk of what I have, it means so much more to me because it's not as replaceable. And you know this, right? Isaiah chapter 53 says this, starting in verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. And he was crushed for our iniquities. 
the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed I invite you in your groups today to take a time to pause and remember Jesus through communion we aren't together taking this at the same time but we are taking this together in unity of spirit all across the world all across this world we're taking this time to remember Jesus to honor his sacrifice in our lives Father we are so thankful for Jesus we are so thankful for your Holy Spirit God we are thankful for the transformation in our lives Lord that the Spirit brings God and for the price that was paid for me for you God, we're so thankful for that sacrifice. God, I pray today that whatever we're facing, whatever enemies we're facing today, Lord, you would give us the reminder that you love us. God, and nothing, 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 Lord, in all of creation can separate us from your so thankful for that love. We pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.